Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving our neighbors, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I'm Tommy Morris, and I'm joined once again with both of my co-hosts here. I got Sean. Sean, welcome Thanks. back. And Scott. Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, it's good to all be back together again. It it's is. been a while. Yeah, we haven't had the trio together in a while. Yeah, yeah. man. Three, three amigos. Feels good. Yeah, it does. It's been kind of a crazy year, so we've uh, not been able to do this for a while with all three at the same time. So, and to come back today, we're gonna we're gonna tackle conversation about manhood, biblical manhood specifically. I think this is a a big topic in society today because of the way the pendulum kind of swings and and has swung over the decades, and it's become kind of a hot topic of you know what is a man. But then within the church and evangelical circles, you know, what is a, a biblical man? You know, so, Sean, what, what are your thoughts when want to talk about manhood? What are a couple of thoughts that initially come to your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, I work construction, so <laughs> my gear towards manhood is just, is just this hardcore, like, rough and tumble, you know, spitting tobacco, fighting in bars type of type of man just because that's what I'm around every day <laughs> yeah but that's not that's not biblical manhood that's just an immature boy who hasn't grown up yet I mean I, I really thought you were gonna say beards <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah <laughs> you're trying to be kind to us since well, since we both shaved I didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to hurt you guys <laughs> I'm okay. You okay? You're good. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm comfortable with my uh, clean-shaven face. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm not. I'm growing my back. But <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what about you, man? What do you think about when we when we say manhood? I mean, did you, you guys know how my mind works? Like, are we, you know, because, like, my definition of that has changed. I mean, you know, especially, like, when I was in the military, and I'm sure when you were, too. You know, my, my view about what a man is and should be is, you know, different than it is now from a biblical perspective. And, yeah. and you know, I, 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 I'm, you know, a history nerd and, you know, I've, I've read so much on like, you know, the Greeks and the Romans and what they thought manhood was, you know, because it seems to be a little bit different, you know, throughout the generations. It's kind of tweaked a little bit, but I mean, there are definitely like manhood themes that go throughout, you know, pretty much all the time. So... Yeah, I mean, it really just depends, like, which uh, which perspective we're looking at. I mean, yeah. obviously, like, I think I have a, a very healthy view of biblical manhood now that I did not have for a long time until I was saved. So, um, yeah, I mean, it really just depends what, what we're looking at because manhood yeah. does look different. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely changed historically. <clears throat> I mean, I think probably some of the ones throughout time have been that it's kind of a tough guy. I think maybe being a womanizer has been a part of it over the years. Yeah. You know, being able to be a beer guzzler, like that kind of can go rough and tumble at the bar maybe. Good job, makes money, successful, maybe athletic. You know, that I think there have been some stereotypes or characteristics that have been kind of associated with it throughout time that, are prob- that have probably jumped into every decade or generation, uh, have been consistent. But, you know, there's some that are – definitely different i mean if, if we look at tv right tv from 50 years ago to tv now men are definitely have been portrayed different over the years you know so maybe our 
perspective on manhood has definitely changed as Christian men now, uh, but we've seen culture and their definition of change of manhood change as well. You know, I don't know, remember what shows you guys watched as kids and what men looked like in those shows. Yeah, married with children. What Al Bundy, uh, kind of kind of a dummy, but like quick witted. Made fun of you know made fun of the ladies at the uh, where he sold shoes. He was a shoe salesman, and then even like in the cartoons too, like uh, Family Guy, Peter Griffin being a dad. I never saw it, but just being. I've, I've heard that they that he's portrayed as dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, Homer Simpson, they're both just like dopes. Yeah. About you? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess growing up as a kid, like, I'd never really paid attention to, like, the dumb dad stereotype because, like, you know, I always watched that stuff and, like, laughed, you know, just thought it was silly. Um, I don't think it ever really, like, impacted my thoughts on manhood um, because I, I, I always leaned more towards, like, the, the, the tough guys, you know, like the Western movies, the Cowboys, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the big tough wrestlers in movies, um, but even, like, the smart people, you know, like James Bond, you know, like the spy, the, the, the kind of mystery people and, you know, can, like you said, womanizers, but also, like, smart, rich, savvy, you know, all these different things and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, especially like our, you know, generation growing up to, you know, with like MTV and stuff like in America, we have this like ridiculous idea that, you know, every man should uh, be making so much money. They can go buy a yacht and throw parties all day and, you know, have women everywhere. And, you know, and it's just like this, <laughs> this stupid dream, yeah. you know, that you get to see in like, you know, music videos and stuff, or even like, uh, you know, I mean, I was super into like the rock scene growing up and even just like the rockers lifestyle, you know, and everything that goes on with that and, you know, the hardcoreness of, of everything. And so, yeah, I mean, our culture has jacked us up with manhood and especially now, I mean, I mean, I, I absolutely hate what the culture is trying to do to manhood. I mean, cause it's not that they have changed the definition they're, they're trying to, but, I mean, at the same time, it's also a wake-up call to say, like, okay, you know, we have laid down or we have, you know, pushed manhood in a really bad direction. And so now there's a big pendulum swing to, you know, make men passive and to make us, you know, kind of secondary citizens. It's like, well, you know, no, men don't lead the world anymore, do these things. And so, yeah, I mean, I hate it, but it's honestly, it's, you know, it's an open challenge to, you know, our generation and then, the generations that came before us who kind of let everybody down by, you know, being chauvinistic, by, you know, not treating women right, by not self-sacrificing and things like that. So, I mean, I absolutely don't like it, but it's kind of a challenge, like more like a wake up call, you know, to be like, well, what, what is, you know, a modern man supposed to be? And, you know, being a citizen of this country, like, what am I supposed to be as an American? And then, obviously, with the biblical perspective, like, well, how does that fit into, you know, a biblical worldview, you know, to be a man? So, yeah, there's, there's lots of lots to talk about. Yeah, no as doubt. As what we are. No doubt. Yeah, and I think that's where part of the overcorrection came. I mean, I think men back in the day, if you look back to shows like Leave it to Beaver or whatever, those old black and white shows that our parents probably watched, um, the dads were looked at as as being providers and being present in the home and and all and all of that. And then on the negative side, though, there was a look, uh, you know, a look at them as maybe being too much into work, where it was all work and then I come home and then it's let me sit in my recliner, give me a beer and my dinner, and leave me alone the rest of the night. I'm gonna watch football, you know, don't mess with me. It's like kind of like they're there, but they're 
they're kind of not there, right? Like emotionally and, and really they're just there in flesh and blood, but not in real presence. Uh, but then also maybe some of the, the chauvinistic views of, of back in the day of do as I say, I'm the man. And so then the overcorrection comes of, you know, manhood being toxic, being viewed as dangerous. And so then there becomes that overcorrection, like you were saying, to push men to be more passive, uh, even more effeminate, more, uh, you know, there was the big push of being more in touch with your feelings and, and things of that nature. And I, I think recently, you know, and you and I have talked about this at times, there have been groups within evangelical circles who've tried to push the, the, the pendulum back, swinging the other direction, but going too far with it again to get back to that place of kind of ruling with the iron fist and wanting to put the entire household under their thumb you know, where it's my way or the highway, kind of kind of a rule. And there are, you know, circles and books and things out there by people that, you know, I think are pushing more of that direction. And I, I, I think that's a very dangerous overcorrection, which is why I want us to discuss what is what does it look like truly from a biblical standpoint to be a man of God, just to be a man. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 so I, I think that's, that's, that's almost a separate topic because, like, there are people who are using scripture incorrectly applied to define what biblical manhood should be in that overcorrection versus, you know, just like what, you know, our culture, you know, would say we are as, as men and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's where you got to be careful because we could look at the same verses and then come to different conclusions about our authority in our home or yeah. how to raise children, um, you know, and, you know, don't spare the rod, you know, spoil the child sort of thing. And it's like, well, you know, you can take anything to an extreme or twist it. So that's, I think that's kind of why, like, we're here, right? To kind of, you know, talk about the culture, talk about history a little bit, but about correctly applying biblical man. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So what do we see from the scripture? Like, what's, what are some things that stand out for y'all from scripture about manhood? I mean, thinking, let's think back to the first man, Adam. Right. You know, what are, what are the things we see from, from him in respect to manhood? I mean, there's uh, obviously there's going to be bad, right? Like, as we know about the fall and everything, but there was, there was some good stuff there too. I mean, I remember Vody Bauckham saying one time, like Adam had to be a real smart dude. Like, you know, he was talking about coming up with all the names for the animals <laughs> and, and uh, you know, classifying and taking care of a garden and doing all this stuff and just, you know, learning everything, you know, brand new the first time. Um, so I think it started off, you know, pretty good. Like he was given a job, you know, he, he was given the task to, uh, you know, to, to tend the garden, you know, basically to provide, to protect it, you know, him and Eve were given, you know, the mandate to procreate too. And, you know, what's kind of funny about that is that, uh, you know, if you look at like Greek and Roman history, um, I think, like I said, it's through like a different lens, but some of those like recurring themes throughout all of history have been like, you know, and obviously I'm going to say that there's more to this than what, you know, what the Greeks and Romans thought, but, you know, it was basically like the three P's to provide, protect and procreate. Right. And uh, that, that's, that's really where we see, you know, like the world, you know, coming alongside like God's word and like listening to some of it. And, you know, I do think that those are some of the basic tenets that we're supposed to do. I mean, as you know, men and men in Christ, you know, we're also, you know, also supposed to spiritually lead our families and gentleness and selflessness and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that didn't last very long with Adam, right? Um, you know, we, we see him, you know, bucking his mandate to obey God. You know, he passively, 
you know, let um, Eve eat and he didn't try to stop her. And, you know, the Bible's very clear that, uh, you know, the blame wasn't really on Eve. It was on him, you know, for, for letting down his guard and uh, not doing what God told him, you know, and listening to a deception and a lie. And, um, yeah, that's where we started getting in trouble, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because with, it's in Adam where we see the heaviness of the, I don't know, I don't want to call it a burden, but the responsibility for man. Right. Right, because when... When it talks about sin, original sin, it always refers to the sin of Adam. Even though Eve gave in first, it's the sin of Adam. And it's through one man, Adam, that sin entered the world, not through Eve. So it just points back to his responsibility as the leader, you know, and, and him being that covering. And the fact that he, he was passive, you know, he did not step up and be the spiritual leader for his wife in that moment. And so, therefore, sin is attributed to mankind through him. So we see that in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about sin coming into the world through Adam, just for um, reference points if you want to go and look, read those chapters. But there was a man who came later who, who did man up. We think that Adam didn't man up in, in the way he was supposed to. Jesus did. You know, Jesus showed us really what it is to be a man. And when we think about Jesus' time on earth, you know, what do we, what do we see how he lived out manhood? Uh, yeah, he was firm to the point, strong with everything. And whenever, like whenever the Pharisees would try to, try to trick him, he would just give them like a firm, just to the straightforward answer, and it would shut him up. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he got angry. He overturned tables. But, you know, without sin, of course, he was mad at the sin, but he didn't himself sin. He, I mean, he was convicted and devoted to, to God the Father, like always spending time in prayer. Oh, yeah, he was firm, and, you know, and I think that's the thing is he, he was unapologetically firm in his stance for the Word of God, for the will of God. Uh, he wasn't afraid to confront sin. He wasn't afraid to confront wolves. He was a shepherd in that sense, you know, of protecting the sheep. So there is that protection side of it. You know, he was a provider. You know, we saw him feed the multitudes and, and you know, his disciples never went without. So you do see that in him. Uh, and I think ultimately what we see in him is that he was, he was a servant. You know, he was a sacrificial servant. He he was always set to for the will of God and in, in laying down his life. You know, and that's the thing is is he said, I lay down my life. No man can take take it. I lay it down. You know, that was him and, and his choice and his willingness to do the will of the Father. And in doing so, setting the example for us of how we're to live, of what biblical manhood looks like. And, and what it looks like is, is having that firm leadership, but with a servant's heart. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much to talk about with Jesus being a man. You know, I mean, like, you know, big picture, it's obviously like he perfectly followed God's will, you know. And, and uh, you know, teaser alert, um, he was... Uh, he was not afraid of men, right? There was no fear of man. And I think that's something that we all struggle with. But yeah, I mean, his like lack of fear of man um, was just, you know, like he was so full of, you know, the spirit and just like you said, set his face on God's will. 
that, you know, he, he was perfectly a man, right? Cause I mean, we, we see like the whole gamut of, you know, emotions and strength and everything. I mean, you know, he, uh, you know, his very first miracle, you know, he submits to his mother, right. <clears throat> and does what she asks and, and, you know, performs a miracle, but, you know, just the, uh, he, you know, he was, he was tough too. You know, we don't think about Jesus being tough, but dude, just like think about all the mental and emotional strain and how worn out he must've been just from like the crowds and people, you know, day and night asking for miracles and healings, you know, but he also went away to pray. I mean, he, you know, wept bitterly, you know, whenever he saw Lazarus in the grave, you know, like a lot of times we get told like not to cry or to, you know, keep your emotions in check. And, and then like, he literally like screams for Lazarus to come out of the grave and he yeah. does, you know, so like there, there's no holding back, but then he was, um, you know, he sought after the lowest of the low people because, you know, like with this whole upside down kingdom thing, we're kind of all out for blood, right? Like we all want what we want in our homes and our 401ks and like our little bubble in our life. And a lot of times, you know, we can get caught up in thinking less of people who aren't, you know, the same status as us, or maybe they're, you know, poor, homeless or drug addicts or, you know, whatever. But, you know, he literally sought them out, you know, that those were the people he went after and loved and healed. And then when he gets to, you know, society and he gets to the establishment and religious, you know, authorities and stuff, that's when he starts laying into people. I mean, you, you, you want to talk about who Jesus is as a man, go look at what he said to the religious leaders of his day. I mean, you want to talk about some strong words, you know, like even to the point of, you know, them you know, basically being, being thrown off a ship with a stone wrapped around their neck, you know, and brood of vipers and, you know, who warned you and all these things. I mean, he was very firm um, where he needed to be firm. And I think that's, you know, we, we talk about that, that concept of, you know, strength under control. You know, and that's, that's, you know, perfectly what he was. And that's what, what we're supposed to do as men. Like, you know, I, I remember my, my son was in like second or third grade and I got called to the school and he had, uh, he had hit somebody and he had put his hands on him and he was much bigger than most of his classmates. And I was furious, but because it wasn't the first time this has happened, you know, it was the first time at school, but you know, I'd gotten onto him and gotten onto him. And, uh, I, I don't even know if he understood, but I just, you know, I, I finally sat down with him in the principal's office and everybody's like staring at me. And I was trying to think of something to say without, you know, like wanting to like, you know, what my kid, but, um, you know, I just told him, like, I grabbed both of his hands and I made him, I said, look, like, God made your hands to protect people and to build things and to provide and to do good things with your hands, not this. And it's so important to teach our, our, our young men and, and kids this because, you know, Jesus did that, right? Like he's all powerful. I mean, he could have called down legions of you know, angels. He could have destroyed his enemies, but he was very self-controlled and he used his strength where he, where it was needed you know, where, where there was sin, where there was, you know, someone or a group of people who were, you know, like we talked about earlier, twisting God's words. Like that's the stuff that's like righteous anger where he was mad, you know, that they were in the temple and selling things and being greedy. But then you see, you know, all the other sides of Jesus too, that we usually focus on, you know, his love and compassion and all these things. But, but that's, that's the thing too, just even about human history that I think like we've even lost in our, in our country, like from, as far as I can remember, like, you know, Greeks and Romans all the way through like the forefathers of this country, like, yeah, you were expected to stand up and take up arms and go to war. You know, um, you, you were expected to be involved in, in politics, you, you know, without a salary, you know, like, oh my gosh, imagine that these days, 
you know, you were expected to come together and help the community, you know, to build things, to, you know, flourish in your society, to, you know, to be smart, to be well-educated, to be versed in even poetry and, and things like this and, and to be athletic. And it wasn't just this way, just you either got to be a tough guy and rough it out or, you know, whatever the opposite of that is, you know, so there's this whole range of manhood that I think we've missed. And I think Jesus set like a perfect example for it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was a very, very good balance. So, I mean, you talk about his compassion. I even think about when Peter cut the ear off yeah. the soldier when they came to arrest him and Jesus healed him. I mean, he knew they're about to go crucify him and he showed compassion yeah. in that moment, you know, and so there was a balance between the times when he was firm with them you know, and stood his ground, and and there were times when he was compassionate, even with those who were trying to kill him. Yeah, and I mean, that's actually one of my favorite stories too, especially the uh, uh, the story in, in John when he gets arrested, and Jesus is like, "Who is it that you seek?" And then Jesus is, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, "I am He," and they all fall to the ground, like this band of soldiers and officers and all this stuff, you know, because they were like literally, you know, to me that was almost like a check, you know, it was like, "I am God, and you will bow before me, but I am going to willingly let you take me, but I just want you to know that I'm still God and all powerful, and you will bow before me, um, but I'm willingly laying my, down my life, and I just I love that story." Yeah. So when, when we think about Jesus' example for you guys, Sean, what is what is applying those biblical principles and the example of Jesus look like? Uh, just using using my my power, my status, my strength to serve others, to help others where where people would normally just pass you know pass by. Even like even just talking to one of the guys. Uh, actually, today I could tell he he was a little off. You know, we, I mean, we do dangerous work. So, like, if somebody's having an off day, we're not going to put them in the bucket and it's a good way to get killed. Yeah, so, that's probably wise. So, just like, <laughs> just pulled them aside, you know, one on one instead of making a scene in front of the guys. Just like, hey, man, you okay? Just, you know, you're acting a little funny. You got something on your mind, you know? And he's like, yeah, actually, you know, I got some stuff going on at the house. I was like, all right, cool, man. Well, you know, sorry to hear that. And I was like, we're going to, we're going to keep you on the ground and we'll let somebody else go up there, you know, using just, just using that because, like, I can tell, I could tell him to get in the bucket and go up there and ah, suck it up, you know, check your baggage at the door, you know, and get up there and build this power line, yeah, <laughs> you know. But that's that's not right. I mean, that's he could get hurt. But anything, just serving, like how Jesus, he washed his disciples' feet, you know, just serving where where I can, you know, even if you just see somebody at a gas station who needs a ride and needs to hear the gospel, you know, something, just something little like that, yeah. And not thinking uh, with, I mean, you're in project management, like you, you hold a title, and like I'm a foreman, right? So like I've got people underneath me, but we still have bosses, you know, and our bosses have bosses. But, you know, not thinking that like I'm somebody, you know, so uh, just trying to, trying to stay humble and uh, just serve where I can, where I see, where I see possible. And just using what God has blessed me with to to serve others and not, you know, not thinking I'm somebody I'm not. Yeah, that's good. You do have a servant's heart, man. Appreciate it. Well, I like to serve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's your way of showing um, love to the body. And, uh, yeah, it's been good. And what about you, man? Dude, I mean, it's it's been it's been a long road. I don't think that road's ever going to end of yeah. uh, sanctification and being convicted about <laughs> 
what I need to lay my life down for. <laughs> right. There's so many things. I think, uh, you know, there, there's definitely a conversation what that looks like if you're a single guy. And, uh, you know, Sean, like, like he, like Tommy said, um, especially, I mean, obviously nothing's changed dramatically, but, you know, before you were married, like, you know, you, you, know, you worked hard, you, you're, you're building God's kingdom, but, you know, you're also, you know, willing to go and just help people, right? You know, like, you know, you, you had Sawyer, but, um, you know, you, you had a lot of time to, uh, to pour into other people. I think that's great. And now, you know, you're going to pour a lot of your time into, you know, into your, your marriage and all of your children now and everything. Yeah. So, so you start to like move past, you know, like the basics of what manhood is and, you know, to provide and protect. And, um, I mean, even, even to spiritually lead in the sense of like, you know, if you're, you know, doing daily devotionals and, you know, praying with your family and, you know, you definitely need that. But, you know, realistically I find myself like trying to either, like I'm either struggling or I'm trying to, uh, be more like Jesus and like the everyday stuff. And I mean, you know, the, the laundry, the trash, the, you know, listening to everybody, the trying to corral the kids and love them well, and, you know, do all the things and, you know, just all the day-to-day, you know, responsibilities and chores and making sure it's all done. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, as, as men, we really set the tone in our home for, for, for how we serve, because the thing is, you know, there's, um, I mean, obviously I don't want to open up another can of worms, but, um, you know, there's, there's always, you know, the, uh, the headship of men, right. And that, 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 that causes a lot of, uh, division sometimes. And, um, especially, you know, now that we live in such like a hyper, you know, feminist society, I mean, I'm talking about everybody, but you know, it, it kind of leans that way. But the thing is, is, you know, yes, we could wrestle with these concepts and debate about, you know, should a man lead his home and do all this? And I think, I think the answer is yes. But the thing is, is you set the tone in your home with servant leadership because, you know, your wife is not going to want to submit to you. And, and, you know, by the way, you know, we've talked about this before, like a wife willingly submits to her husband. It's there, there's nothing in the Bible that says a you know, husband can force his wife to submit. Right? right. So that's where you step into abuse and all these things. And even when people try to use scripture to justify that, and it's just, it's not right. So, so you set the tone in your home by being a servant leader, by laying down your life and everything, by being the one who, you know, starts all the chores, being the one who initiates prayer, being the one who, you know, calmly approaches your wife about things and listens to her and, you know, gently loving your kids and, you know, making sure to spend time with them. And then it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just like having a good leader. Like who, who wouldn't want to follow somebody who, you know, was a constant servant to them and setting the tone in a gentle, loving way. Um, but then, you know, also, you know, being firm where you need to be firm, you know, and stuff like that too. So, but yeah, I mean, we, we have the opportunity and I, I think the, you know, command to set the tone in our home as servant leaders, you know, just like Jesus was. And then that kind of creates this trickle effect of like, okay, like, you know, my family is going to respect me more. They're going to love me more. And, you know, and, and it grows in a, in a positive way instead of, you know, this like, well, I'm going to assert my authority. Then that's making her mad. And then you're frustrating your kids and exacerbating them. And, you know, no, nobody wants to, wants to be around that type of, you know, culture, honestly, in your home. You know, and that, that's what you're doing is, you know, setting the culture in your home. And, and then, you know, you're setting that example for your kids. You know, you're showing your daughters, you know, what a husband, a godly servant leader husband should be like. And then you're teaching your sons how to treat their, their wives and their daughters as well. And a lot of times we get that backwards and, 
you know, you get a, you get an angry man or, you know, whoever in the home. And then, um, you know, guess what? The cycle repeats. And then you got boys growing up treating their wives a certain way too, or, you know, whether it's, you know, worldly treating them that way, or it's, uh, you know, Hey, like my dad took the scriptures in the Bible about manhood and took them to the extreme, became a chauvinist. And you know, now their kids are that way. And so anyway, you, you get what I mean. Yeah, we'll have to do a whole other podcast at some point about the uh, pendulum swing within evangelicalism and what that's turned yeah. into. and Because yeah. we can definitely dig into that a lot more and how uh, Scripture has been abused, uh, you know, to, to make manhood something it's not. But yeah, I mean, I like that you brought up like the day-to-day stuff. You know, we had just talked about that on that last episode of Everyday Worship of you know, what it's like to, to just worship God in the everyday parts of life. You know, when we're at the grocery store or driving down 98 or you know, cooking or whatever. You know, we are called as men to lead our homes. We're called to be the spiritual leaders. Deuteronomy, you know, talks about us you know, teaching our kids the word, the, all that the Lord has commanded. You know, that's part of discipleship in the Great Commission, teaching all that the Lord has commanded. Uh, and if, we, if we're not discipling our own home, how are we going to be discipling others within the church? You know, we're yeah. called to be that spiritual leader. But I think sometimes men can lose sight of those everyday mundane things and exer- exerting that same leadership in those areas. You know, that we're not called to just be the king. I know there's always been that kind of idea, right? That this is my kingdom. My house is my castle. I'm the king of my castle, you know, and then it's, it's easy to start to look at everybody else's, you know, your, your serfs, your servants who are there to just do your bidding and cook and clean and keep everything operational because you bring home the bacon or whatever. But the woman is called to be our helpmate to come alongside us, not behind us, alongside us to help us you know it's not her job to serve us if we really took jesus example it's our job when it says that we're supposed to love her in ephesians 5 the way christ loved the church is really our job to serve her yeah you know and to love her washing her feet right yeah and so in doing that like we can't forget those everyday mundane things like i I don't know about y'all but like helena's love language is definitely acts of service so like doing the dishes and and just taking care of things around the house like especially little tedious things like if it's something that she can think about that speaks volumes yeah you know much more so than if i like if i buy her something she doesn't care for her that's a waste of money like (laughs) go straighten up you know around the house and do some things go work in the yard do you know do something with her around the house you know, and so we can't forget those day-to-day opportunities to serve our spouse well, to to love them well. Yeah, and it's a servant leadership. Like Jesus was a, a servant leader. But yeah, I like what you said about like setting a tone for sure, because nobody wants to nobody wants to follow. Like you think think back in like the old days where Napoleon's going to war or whatever. And uh, like they're not, you know, he's not just going to sit back and be like, "Hey, you guys, uh, you guys going to war? I'll be over here in my tent, you know, hanging out." Like, you got to lead your, you know, you got to lead your army into battle. And someone who, someone who leads, like your men will see that. And I'm thinking from like a war standpoint. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like your men will see that and be like, "All right, like draw from that confidence and be like, I, I want to follow this dude. I'll follow him." To the ends of the earth, you know, we'll go in there and go to war. But someone who just sits back and is like, yeah, you guys go take care of that. 
it's like they you know they don't want to and so the like, as the man leads leads his wife and leads his home if you're like if you're a servant leader you're like you said setting the tone for your wife to to help you out and to be your to be your helper but yeah i mean she she will willingly submit because she wants to because she has a good leader whereas if you know if you're a bad leader she's not necessarily going to want to submit or you're going to cause her to stumble you know even if she wants to submit like it's going to be a, it's going to stump it's going to be hard for her and she's not going to want to do it because you're not leading her properly and all that and like it just it just spirals out of control it's easier for biblical submission to happen when it's understood that you're submitted to God. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing. When we're submitted to God and we know they, they can take confidence that we are pursuing the will and the heart of God and that we are willing to lay down our life and put them before ourselves. You know, that's a, that's a lot easier to submit to than just do as I say. You know, yeah, because for sure. I say it. So, but yeah, <clears throat> you bring that up about war because I mean, it really is. It's spiritual warfare. You know, you read Ephesians six, and and we think about you know the ways that Satan attacks. You know, and the families is definitely one of them. I mean, look at the very first attack was against Adam and Eve. You know, so we have to be on guard, and and we are to be those warriors. We're to be that guard who's there. You know, protecting our wife and kids, and. You know, we're like you were saying, Scott, you know, we are training up our kids and we're showing them, we're showing our daughters how they should be treated. And we're showing our sons how to treat women as they get older, so, you know, and, and we're creating those uh, that quiver of arrows to be shot out. Right. And, and used in the kingdom of God, whereas Fody Bauckham says yeah, ballistic, ballistic missiles. missiles. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and that's that's the hope, you know. That's uh, you know, if you want to know what your purpose is as a man, it's to do good works and it's to build God's kingdom, not yours. And so that hope is that your children will go out and raise their families that way and set that tone, and then yeah. so on and so forth. And that's how we, you know, usher in the kingdom. That's how we bring a biblical world, you know, to to fruition is uh, is through stuff like that. But no, I mean, the military analogy works perfect because because like literally like that general or that leader is you know basically rushing out to the front right so what their their action is saying is that like i'm willing to die first right i'm willing to die first to lead you you know for this cause and uh you know that's exactly what jesus did was willing and able and did die for us first you know so yeah um i mean just a side note address another elephant in the room if you don't lead your family, your wife will. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that women are not good leaders. I'm not saying that they can't um, or anything like that. But it's your job to take that lead um, because you're supposed to do do that with her, not in a, you know, in a way where, I mean, I don't want to, you know, get into a separate debate, but, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, being complimentary. Like, my wife will willingly submit to me. But the thing is, is like, you know, whenever we're trying to decide something or, or do something, um, you know, first we see if we're on the same page. If we're not on the same page about something, that's when we both get down on our knees and we start praying because you should be on the same page about stuff. And it should be a very rare occasion where you're not on the same page, um, but you still have to make a decision um, that maybe she disagrees with. Now, that should be taken very carefully, very lightly, and it shouldn't happen very often. But, you know, just like going back to the garden where Adam was passive, 
um, we see that Eve took the lead, right? So if you don't lead your family, uh, someone else will. And, you know, typically that does not, uh, it's not very fruitful that way. And then it kind of emasculates you too. And, um, you know, there's probably going to be some respect issues there between you and your wife as well. And the thing is too, I mean, you know, there, there have been times in my marriage where my wife has led our family because I wasn't doing what I needed to do. And, uh, you know, she, she did a good job, but the thing is, you know, after talking with her about it, she didn't really want to lead our family. You know, she was doing it, but she really wanted me to step up. And I think that uh, a lot of a lot of men in our nation and probably the world um, just kind of passively let their wives lead as well. And I think that there's uh, some some danger in that. But obviously, you have to be careful with that too. So I I get that. But uh, but yeah. But another thing I was going to say too. So you know, this traditional idea of manhood to you know provide and protect. Um, it's pretty universal, but I just want to say too, I think there's a lot of men out there who think that they're just okay, you know, because they're like, well, you know, I've got a job and I'm not a drunk and I bring in money and I pay the mortgage and do these things. But you know, it's, it's way more than that. It's way deeper than that. Right. And if you just think you're okay because you go to work and you're not a wife beater, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean you're leading your family well, that you're okay. Um, But the thing is, too, is like, you know, I want to encourage men, you know, if they are like that, like the other side of that, whenever you start pouring into your family and your wife and your kids and spiritually leading them and praying with them, there's there's a depth, there's a richness of life that comes with that, too, even though it's hard. So I want to encourage and call men into, you know. a a richer life, you know, instead of just being like, well, I'm home. So it's time to turn on Netflix and drink some beer and just ignore my family and, you know, and all that stuff. Cause dude, I mean, like our kids are getting older, man. Like I'm, I'm starting to panic. I'm like, man, I don't have that much time left. Like, where did it go? You know? And like, I, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes before, but I'm very glad where God's brought me. Cause like, I couldn't imagine like just now figuring this out and being like, Oh man, I only have, you know, a certain amount of years left with my kids to like make it right and start investing in them. And I mean, how, how many men do we hear about that who, you know, they get so invested in their job or their hobbies or whatever, and then their kids are gone one day and then they're just completely broken and they're like, what happened? And why do my kids hate me? Or we don't have a good relationship. Um, I mean, story after story after story. And, you know, you want to talk about, you know, fatherhood or fatherlessness, you know, in, in America. I mean, it's, it's something that's got to be addressed, but you know, for me, it's just a call into uh, a deeper and richer life, you know, and you gotta, you gotta kind of lean into it, even though it's hard. Yeah. So talking about that, about, you know, will I provide for my family? I have a job. To me, that's like the equivalent of saying I'm a spiritual leader because I take them to church on Sunday. Yeah. Great. All right. You're doing the bare minimum. Like you're doing what's expected of you, but like, that's just, that's like step one. You know, that's like signing up for a martial arts class and thinking you're a black belt, right? It's just, it's not like that. It just doesn't, you don't jump just because you signed up. Like, great, you've started that. That's the foundation. Now it's time to build on it. You know, from the relational standpoint, great, you provide for your family. You know, but how many people, we've seen it over and over. I mean, you can talk to mental health therapists, you know, galore, who will say, you know, they talk to to people who say, I yeah, my dad made a lot of money, but he was never there for me. Like, I would trade all the stuff just to have had him there. You know, so great that you provide, but what are you doing to be a part of their life? 
great that you take them to church on Sunday, but what are you doing Monday through Saturday to invest in their spiritual well-being? Yeah. You know, it's not the youth pastor's job or the teacher's job or the preacher's job to raise your kid up to be a man or woman of God. That's your job as the dad to invest in them. You know, they, they need to get that from you Monday through Saturday. Any final thoughts? I don't know. Do you want to talk about prayer life as a man? Yeah. I was just trying to think about like different perspectives too. I mean, we talked about spiritually leading your home, but I, I, I think like, you know, like what, what you were just saying, kind of maybe just think about like consistency, right? You know, not being a hypocrite and only doing things on Sunday or in front of other people to look a certain way. But, you know, ha- having a, I'm, I'm trying to think like some tools, you know, like ha- having a consistent prayer life is, is something that's helped me. And I mean, honestly, digging into God's word, because the thing is, you know, there's the, my, my story's not unique. Um, you know, Sean's isn't either. There's a couple of us here at the table who didn't have great dads growing up or they just weren't there. And, you know, that's, that's a big issue in our nation, but I don't know. I think the biggest help for me, even though like my dad, my biological dad wasn't there for me, you know, after being saved, it was almost felt like God was kind of putting it on my heart that like, you know, even with all my hurt and pain, he was like, it's okay because your dad didn't actually have a chance to jack you up. And, you know, you're kind of a blank slate right now. And I'm going to teach you how to be a man. And so, you know, cause I, I got saved around the time I had my first kid. And one of my biggest fears in life was being a dad. Cause I didn't want to end up like, like my dad, but you know, through all the pain and all the hurt, it was also very, you know, beautiful and wonderful too, because I got to have other men come alongside me in my life and show me in scripture what a man's supposed to be. And then I got to explore it myself, you know, just by reading the Bible and being like, wow, this is way different than I thought, you know, but it really helped shape me because, you know, it, it can go both ways. You can not have a dad and not just not know what you're doing. And, you know, that's, that can be bad, you know, if, if you don't have a biblical worldview. And then there's the other side where you had a terrible example, you know, they were there and, you know, then you have to kind of fight off like bad habits and, you know, things that you learn. So, so there, there's that too, but yeah, a consistent prayer life has helped me with that and uh, scripture reading. So, just wanted to mention that too. Yeah, there's definitely good points to bring up. I mean, I think prayer is uh, maybe an underrated weapon. Yeah, and, and, that and we don't use often enough. Yeah, and just like immersing yourself around other biblical, like godly men, you know, because like if you're if you're trying to be, you know, if, if you're trying to, you know, with with God's help to change your life and be a better man, and you're still running around with the crowds that you know are not good for you, it's gonna, you know, your your journey's gonna be really tough. So you gotta you gotta be willing to uh, cut off bad friendships, you know, people that are toxic in your life, and surround yourself with, uh, you know, with with godly men. I mean, even if that means you have to say no to family members sometimes too. You know, who yeah. may be, you know, not, not, not the, the best manly influence, you know, because we, we're, we're meant to be social. We're meant to, to, uh, to sharpen one another, right? And so if you're not, uh, you know, in, involved with a good group of men, too, you're going to have a hard time because uh, a lot of us try to, try to isolate and figure it out ourselves. And, <laughs> you know, let me, let me know how that's worked out for any of us. So that's true. I mean, especially if you have sons, I think sometimes, you know, kids, hard for them to look at their parents and want to receive anything but like if you have sons you know they might look at your friends as being kind of cool and um, you know they may want to try to emulate them a little bit you know at first until they mm-hmm. finally realize that you're not you know that as dads we're not that weird 
that can be influential. So the guys that you hang out with can definitely have an impact on your kids. And one, I mean, how they view you and your integrity and your character, but also just in kind of what they want to emulate. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's great, man. I appreciate you guys uh, talking about this. You know, we're going to kind of extend this conversation in our next episode as we address fear of man, you know, and just talk about that a little bit more, which kind of, I would say, is an extension of, of biblical manhood and what it is for us to stand up as bold men of God, you know, and how do we combat that fear of others. And so I'm excited to talk about that and and get into that a little bit more and just how we develop the character of God. Um, but I do want to leave us with this verse uh, for today for biblical manhood. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. That's all really manly language, right? Mm-hmm. And then verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. You know, so I love how it, it takes a lot of very strong language And then Paul writes in verse 14, but do it all with a heart of love. So that's powerful. So thank you all for listening. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We're dropping new episodes every Monday, and that way you will not miss an episode. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. All you have to do is search the Deed and Truth podcast, or you can connect with us on Twitter, by searching deed underscore truth. You can also find us on our website, deedandtruthpodcast.com, where you can leave us a review, which we would encourage you to please do. You can also drop us a voicemail there where we can listen to it and answer your questions or address your comments on a later episode. All right, until next time.